Um, you know, the Bible, it tells us about not um, forgetting um, to meet together, um, as, as some folks seem to do, um, but actually to do so all the more uh, as the day of, of, of God approaches, as the day of his coming approaches. Um, but the Bible gives us context and meaning for that as well. It's not just about a command in the light of, of, a, of an ultimate promise. It's, it's, a, it's a, a joy in the light of, of an every day and every week promise that we get to do a couple of things, that we get to encourage one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does anybody here this morning want to be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah? Uh, you're the ones who are doing it, by the way. Did you know that? So if you want to be encouraged, then, then, then you're the ones who encourage. It's not the, it's not the, the, the sole domain of folks who are, are, are kind of ordained in ministry or, or on staff in churches or anything like that. This is the, the priesthood of all believers, that you encourage one another in the gospel. And what else does the writer to the Hebrews say? He says you get to spur one another on toward love and good deeds or good works. To spur one another on. Okay? I, I don't know. The, the, the imagery of a spur, it's a bit spiky, isn't it? I don't know. Um, I don't know whether I'm giving you license to be spiky with one another. I hope not. Um, but the, the goal should be the same. That actually... Um, those of us who, for one reason or another, through weariness or weakness or, or sometimes our faithlessness, find ourselves not pursuing the things of God, well, to come into one another's presence is just the medicine we need to then go about it toward love and good works in Jesus Christ. You are the answers to one another's prayers. Now, some of you are like, oh goodness, really? <laughs> Me? You are. You know, you, you, some folks, they're praying that they might know the love of Jesus Christ. You're the answer here this morning. You are. I, I'm not convincing you yet. I can see it in your eyes. Um, some of you, you're not sure what your direction is in life with Jesus Christ. You don't know what things you can do or what, what stuff you can get about to see the kingdom of God be a, a reality in the here and now. And, and the person you're sat next to, they are the answer to that by their example, by their encouragement, by the words of knowledge and of wisdom and the prophetic that God wants to speak into his church, you are the answer one to another. You know, so when I, I, I come and I, I want to gather with you um, as a church, which, which I do each week, and, you know, I, I get up early in the morning. Um, uh, sometimes it's my alarm that gets me up early in the morning. This morning, it was my boy um, that got me up early in the morning. But I go downstairs and I consider what we're going to talk about. And I consider um, how we're going to encourage one another. But um, as much as I consider what I might be bringing and sharing with you, I want to consider what you might be bringing and sharing with one another. And I know sometimes, you know, we, we set you up to be confused about this. I'm sorry. We point all the chairs at the front. And uh, you're looking at whoever's on a stage or whoever's got a microphone. And I don't know, maybe that gives you the impression that, that those are the only things that are of worth in, in this gathering. Nothing could be further from the truth. Maybe next week you'll come and the chairs will be all facing one another. You're not going to come now, are you? <laughs> like, oh, I don't know about that. Don't make them look at me, Greg. Don't make them look at me. Maybe we should. A big circle or something. I don't know. Um, but you need each other. That was a great place for an amen. I thank you, Abel. Um, you need each other. 
All right, five of you. All right, how about I try it a different way? Turn to somebody near you and say, I need you. Some of you are like, that's really weird. <laughs> it is really weird. My sincere apologies. Totally weird. Um, but totally true uh, as well. Totally true. Um, so when I finish talking, which hopefully will be in, in the not too distant future, um, we're going to come around the table. Um, there's bread. There's non-alcoholic wine. We don't say that often enough, and I know that's a bit of an obstacle for some, so let me say that. Non-alcoholic wine. I think the bread's gluten-free as well. So, uh, yeah, everybody can come and enjoy. But more importantly, we come around the table, and it speaks life to us. It's Jesus. The bread that speaks of his body broken for us that we might be made whole. The cup that speaks of blood outpoured that our sins might be washed clean. Everything uh, fully realizing the very presence of God here with us. When we come around this, come on. Can we resolve, we're going to pass bread one to another, can you resolve right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, as you press the, the, the plate or the, the little cups to each other, don't just function in this, could you silently, would you pray for the person you're going to pass to when we come to the end, can you do that? Okay, you don't have to be silent now, um, yeah, you're right to do that, it doesn't have to be fancy, it's just God bless them, or God love them, something, you know, can be fancy if you want. If we see the bread stopping somewhere in the middle, we'll be like, wow, that's a good prayer. Ah, that's really exciting. Uh, can you do that as it comes around? Um, when we get to singing at the end of our gathering, would you all resolve to sing a little louder? Could you do that? Because the person at the back, they need your encouragement. Isn't that right, Steve? Yep, yeah, he's nodding his head. He needs your encouragement. Sing a bit louder. Um, we've got a song that goes like that, isn't it? Sing a little louder. Yeah, mm, yeah. We've been singing that one, haven't we, in our home? Um, we have we, we love that at home um, we sang it once and Judah got all the lyrics down he's amazing I just want to like big up my son um, now um, it's been mentioned already the Christian Life and Witness course the Billy Graham Association they're bringing it to you completely free can I get a woo um, I thought I could um, this is the material that you're going to get completely for free if you come along um, on the 15th of February it's really beautiful it's so well done. Um, come and have a look at it afterwards. Don't steal it, because you can only get it if you come um, to the training. So come. And, and let me tell you, if you come to pray on Saturday, there's a minibus going, ask me about it. Ian's already told you these things. Um, if you come and pray, that's how, you don't just get free stuff, that's how the kingdom of God breaks into the life of your neighbor and your friends and your families. If my people pray. So engage with these things as with the Arclight Shelter. I know you're all going to go and see Nick at the end. Um, right, let's dive into the Word of God. Um, we, over recent weeks, um, we've been um, enjoying, um, well I have, I don't know about the rest of you, but we've been enjoying um, a sermon series that's called Soul Detox. And um, the thinking really is that at the start of the year particularly, and we often think about the, the nature of our lives we think about kind of where we are and you know, the things that we perhaps want to strip away in our lives and how we want to reform things. Um, we don't so often think about our souls. That's your plan, isn't it, Shagan? You're going to take the teenagers away and you're going to think about your souls. Um, fantastic. So if you're aged 11 to 14 in years 7 to 9 um, in school, you thought I'd forgotten about you, I have not forgotten about you, go with Shagan right now. Would you do that? Could you scoot and skedaddle? Um, and it's terrible. I should have got you to do this before we all sat down because now you feel really awkward. I'm very sorry about that. Um, 
I'll not do that again. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to be made to feel awkward, isn't it, when you're a teenager especially? Um, it's horrible always, but it's not great when you're younger. Um, we've been thinking about um, a very substantial and fundamental truth um, that, that undergirds everything that we're talking about. Um, and it's something that, again, it's not always very apparent um, because most of our, our lives, um, that, well, we think about them in terms of what's physical or what's really, really present. You know, you get out of bed in the morning and you're like, oh, my back aches. Anybody? Just me. Um, okay. Um, you, go to, you go to the bathroom, you see your face in the bathroom and um, in the mirror. Um, you, you look pretty good to me. Don't be down on yourself. You look pretty fantastic. Um, and you kind of, you, you, you enter into a world that is kind of resolutely physical. But the Bible teaches us that, that substantially that there's something more. That we are not bodies that happen to have a spiritual dimension tacked on somewhere. We're not bodies with a soul. Actually, the Bible flips that entirely on its head. We are souls with a body. You know, when we began this sermon series, we, we went straight to the beginning of the Bible and we saw how, how it was that God fashioned the man out of the, 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 the dirt, you know, just the substances that he had created. But it was when he breathed his life into him that things changed. There's this man now, spirit, life enters this person. And the, the very evidence and the emphasis of the scripture is that you're not a body that occasionally gets a spiritual dimension that occasionally we think about. No, no, no. We're souls with bodies. The bodies that we have now, they're going to pass away. Thanks be to God. He's determined we're going to have glorious resurrection bodies when the time comes. But what we have now is not a, a fundamental defining reality. It is the soul that is eternal that is our fundamental reality. This week, um, having talked in previous weeks about the restless soul and the heavy soul, and if you missed those, um, I think we've got some spare notes at the back that you can grab them, and, and the podcasts, if not available now, then they will be made available shortly. We, we, we send out the sermons podcast via iTunes and Spotify, if you didn't know, just by the by. Um, we, we've been thinking about these things, but today we're going to think about what might it be to um, have a tortured soul and what does God want to say about that? Did you get notes as you came in? Hopefully you did. Um, there are fill in the blank gaps. I know some of you, you said that you like that. Um, some of you, you're too polite to say you don't like that, but we're just trying it. Um, so hopefully it's useful to you. If you've got a pen, um, then you can fill in as we go along. We're not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. Jesus speaks into this reality. He says this, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Jesus cares about your soul. He cares about your soul's health. He cares about you and he wants to direct you in ways that are healthy and life-giving and true. And we're going to dig into this um, this morning. Now, when we talk about um, the idea of detox, we do so because we want to keep our bodies healthy, which is, which is good. But when we're talking about detox as a church, 
what we're focusing in and what we're concentrating on is keeping our souls healthy. Because truth be told, and maybe, maybe we're, we've experienced this in different seasons in our life. I don't know, maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, actually, this is true about me. We might look good on the outside, but on the inside be really struggling. I might be looking good on the outside, but on the inside there might be all sorts of decay. Um, we as a family, we shop at Aldi. Um, <laughs> you whooped more for Aldi than for some of the other things that we're talking about. We need to, we need to do some work. Um, but, you know, we, we shop at Aldi. It's pretty good, truth be told, and it's also pretty cheap. Um, and so we shop at Aldi, and they do have, and we as a family, we eat a lot of fruit and veg. Um, because my philosophy is if I eat a lot of fruit and veg, then I can also eat a lot of chocolate. Hallelujah. Um, it's like if I go to the gym a lot, then I can have Domino's pizza. Amen. Um, I, I want to point out I am not any kind of life coach or any kind of, um, any kind of gym trainer. <laughs> you might have noticed this. But anyhow, we go to Aldi. We buy all the fruit and veg, literally all the fruit and veg. That's our entire trolley. Um, but the thing, I don't know whether you noticed this about Aldi fruit and veg is, um, you don't entirely know what you're getting. Um, do you, have you noticed this? That sometimes, I mean, it always looks pretty good. But sometimes it is good, and other times, I, I don't know what happens, it just, it just, it's not good. This week, I bought pears, and, um, and they look good, and then within a few days, they tasted amazing. Now, if any of you shop at Aldi, you will know that that is not the normal Aldi experience. Normally, you buy fruit about three weeks in advance, because you know it's going to be ripe at some point down the line. Is this just me? Or are you all really good at shopping? Are you really know what you're looking for? And, um, and we quite often have a melon, all right? And um, you get a melon, and it looks beautiful on the outside. And, um, and, and you see people doing things with melons, like pressing in it in certain places and smelling it. And so you do the same, and you're like, I don't know what I'm smelling for. I don't know. Or I just do it anyway. And um, you take, take it home. And, and it really is a 50-50 you know, you're going to slice into that melon and it's either going to be the most beautiful thing that has ever passed your lips or, as was the case this week, it's going to taste like, I don't know, it tasted vaguely like a melon, um, but it was kind of fibrous and really, really weird and it kind of flaked apart and, and then we're telling the kids, eat it, it's good for you. And they're like, I don't even know what it is. Is this a melon? I, oh, you know, anyhow. You can look good on the outside but what's on the inside only really comes to light when, when you start to get into who you really are and how you ought to live. A melon's no good unless it's chopped up and eaten. Isn't that the truth? It's not, it doesn't exist to look good. It exists to feed me. Come on. You know as a believer, um, not only that sometimes you're not on the inside as you would like to be and perhaps how you look on the outside, but you know that that's not the way that you want it because God's he's, he's done this incredible work of saving grace in your life. He's leading you according to his word in the power of the spirit. But there's, there's something going on here. It's not always easy. In Romans chapter 7, Paul starts to talk about this dynamic and it's actually a battle, the toing and the froings that, that cause the soul to, to feel tortured. In verse 19 of that chapter, he comes to this point and he says, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. My goodness. 
It's such a wrestling, such a battling, this, this, this sense of saying, oh, do you know, I'll never do that again, I'll never do that again, I'll never do that again, and, and then you do it again. <laughs> I was reading this week in my newspaper about um, some people who've recently set up um, massive kind of charitable foundations from the wealth that they earned, and, and there was this one businessman that we're talking about, and he set up this big old charity, and, and they, they, they quoted him as saying that he made a pact with God when he was young that if he got really, really wealthy, then he would give loads of money away to Christian charities. I have absolutely no idea whether God was in any way involved with him getting wealthy whatsoever. But in his mind, it was a bit quid pro quo. It was a bit like, if I do this, God, then you do that. Has anybody ever fall into that kind of sense of bargaining with God? Sometimes we get into that in, in just our kind of spiritual dynamics and lives. We, we promise to God, we say, oh, I'll never do that again. And then, uh, and then we do it again. Or, or, or we say, I'll do this for you, God. And then days turn into weeks and months and years. And it's, oh, did I ever do that? What? And the battle and the struggle is always there. And, and God is saying that the, the resolution to this battle is not in a bargain. It's not in saying to God, oh, I'll just try a little bit harder. Or if I do this, will you do that? And so on and so on and so on. There's a different kind of resolution. In First Peter 2 and verse 11, it's there in your notes. The Bible tells us, dear friends, I urge you as, and, and the Bible uses loads of different words here, aliens <laughs> or strangers or sojourners. There's a sense that, that we're kind of in a sense, because we're believers, because we're of God's kingdom, we're foreigners in this world, as, as sojourners, strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires. Why? Because they war against your soul. The very nature of sin, the very nature of these things that we don't want to do but oh, we wrestle with, it is a war. And the Bible is acknowledging this, that they make war against your soul. And you sense that the torture of that and the, 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 the horror of that and the pain of that is because there is a war going on. What is it specifically that is warring against us? Well, if you've got your notes, then you'll probably want to put down that we're, firstly, we're tortured by the sinful things we've done. We're tortured by the things that we've done that are against the will of God, the things of sin. We do something sometimes and we know that it breaks the heart of God. We feel guilty. Sometimes we, we don't go much further than that. We feel that, that sense of guilt, but rather than allowing the conviction of the Spirit to turn this into something that could be good and hopeful for the future, we allow guilt to turn to shame and a sense of condemnation. And, and we carry unconfessed sin and we're tortured by it. We've looked at him over previous weeks already, but, but David in the Bible is a, a really great example of this. Psalm 38 um, speaks to this sense, this, this feeling. And, and he, David was feeling the weight of sin. And he said this, he said, my bones have no soundness because of my sin. No soundness because of my sin. That's really, that's really substantial, isn't it? It really gets right to the core of it. It's as though my very being is degraded and decayed. My bones have no soundness. What does he say? My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Who I am 
and how I can bear things. It's not big enough. I can't handle the weight of sin. I'm tortured in my soul. Now, you know, as we're speaking about these things, it might even be, even as I'm talking, things are kind of, that they're feeling a little bit kind of spiky inside of you. You may be feeling the heat of this moment. Um, we've all been there in various ways through our lives. I'm sure we can kind of look back and say, oh, then there was this, and then there was this, and then there was this. And I was thinking about this, um, you know, and, and some of the things in our life that they're small, but they carry a, a disproportionate weight in our lives. I remember when I was a lad, we used to um, go on holiday um, in a caravan around different places in the country, and, um, and, and then we, w- we would go because uh, it always rains um, when you go on holiday in England. <laughs> it may not rain when you're in school or work, but it will rain if you go on holiday um, in England. And so we would go find indoor places um, that were owned and operated by the National Trust. Do you have any National Trust people here today? Yeah, there's a handful of you. Um, the rest of you like, I don't, I don't know, do I put my hand up? I don't know. But we would go. And um, I, at the time, I used to like to collect things. Um, I've got that kind of character, I guess. And the things I would collect would be um, key fobs, you know, the things that you put your keys on. I would collect something from anywhere and everywhere. And the other thing I would collect would be books of matches or boxes of matches. Because when I was a kid everyone smoked. <laughs> I didn't. I just want to point that out. Um, that's not what I'm about to confess. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought it was funny. Um, but I, we would go to these National Trust properties and um, most of the books and boxes, you would get them in restaurants, wouldn't you? You'd get like a box of matches. There'd just be one at the end because like, you'd had a meal. What else would you do but go outside and have a cigarette? I don't know. Um, and so I would take them. They were free and they would always have the logo on of different places. And you're like, Pastor Greg, we knew you were sad. We had no idea it was this, this bad. But I, I would do this, and I, I collected them all. I used to really enjoy them. Um, massive fire hazard, by the way. I don't know. Um, I just used to have piles and piles of incendiary material in my bedroom, but there you go. Um, I remember on one occasion, we went to this National Trust property, and we went through the gift store because you can't get out without going through the gift store. This is true, isn't it? Um, and we went through, and I was, we were looking at all these things, all these little treats and stuff, and I knew that the pens and pencils and you know, all of the different stuff, they cost money, but in my little mind, I thought that books of matches, they're free. So I just picked up one and put it in my pocket. And out I went. I know. That's why they put up your membership fees in the National Trust. It's, it's people like me. And we got home. And I had this box of matches in my pocket. And, I, and then I turned it over. I saw a price label on it. You're feeling the weight of this moment, aren't you? I saw a price. Oh, goodness. I felt the weight of it. I don't know how much it was. Um, I don't know, probably like about 5p or something, probably. This was the 80s. Uh, good days, good days. Um, you feel the weight of it. And, um, and then the moment of confession has to come, doesn't it? When your dad says, where did you get that? I, said, I don't And you haven't got words for it. I think I stole it. Um, we took it back. We took it back. Um, because of the... And that's a silly example. Some of you are like, it's not silly. You're a thief, Pastor Greg. You need to repent before God. Um, it's a silly example. You go through life and there are things that they, they, they have a heavier weight upon you, don't they? 
And they, they kind of, and if you're not careful, these things are going to get a grip of your life. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I remember when I was um, quite young in secondary school. I don't really remember exactly what age I was, but I remember um, I had a mate who lived really close to us in the neighbourhood, and on one occasion I was round at his house. I distinctly remember this, and, and prepare yourself. This is a, quite a lot more heavy weight than. Um, than a book of matches, but I distinctly remember him saying to me on one occasion, hey, would you like to look at this? And you might wonder, where's this going? Well, he had a motorcycle magazine. And those of you who perhaps grew up in the 80s and 90s will know that motorcycle magazines were not motorcycle magazines, if you know what I mean. And they had motorbikes in it, but he had it for a different reason. And he showed me things that I'd never seen before. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not being flippant or joking about it, but in that moment of seeing things that lads shouldn't be looking at, I felt the weight of it. I felt the weight of it. And these things, they start to play upon your mind and upon your heart. Now, we live in a, a day and an age where, you know, no brave lad has to go to a shop and get something off the top shelf. It's, it's everywhere, isn't it? And, and images, uh, sexualized images that are there to entice but also demean and degrade others, they're everywhere. And it's such a hard world that, that, that particularly kids and young people are growing up in. But look, it's not just about kids and young people. These things, you see what is not as it should be or not where it should be and not for you. And these things, they become a weight upon you. I, I know, I can, rem- I can remember that moment as clear as if it was yesterday because it started to play upon me and torture me in my soul. These things are really, really tough. Now, I know I'm speaking to a big old gathering of people here, and you know, I, I share a silly example about stealing a book of matches, a rather less silly example about um, being invited into a world that I, I really should never have been invited into. But I'm conscious, all of us here, when we think about the things that, that get a grip on us and torture us, maybe things that remain unconfessed within our lives, Things are coming into our minds even now and into our hearts because we're people. You know, there are certain um, statistics, certain studies that would suggest that as many as 50% of men, maybe even in this room, because some of these studies have been done amongst churches, struggle with sins of secret lust. And these things like we mentioned, that they're far more online these days and so much more readily available even in our own homes. You just, it's, it's everywhere. And some studies will show us it's not just a problem for men, um, that even 25 to 30% of women would have that same thing. You're looking at things you shouldn't look at, and you know that if this got out, then it would hurt your marriage, it could ruin your reputation, or it'd be so embarrassing. And, and because you don't know the way that God is offering to you, of of freedom and release. We're going to come on to that in a moment. You're tortured by these things. It might not be that for you. Others, maybe you're living in lies. And we know, don't we, that if we tell one lie, then it it never stops there, does it? It leads to another lie and another lie and another lie. How does it go? Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Uh, Maybe you've misrepresented yourself and now you're trying to live up to the expectations that they weren't true in the first place. Maybe you've cheated on somebody in some way or another or in the back of your mind you know that if that ever came out, 
it would be so, so bad. And so you just think, well, I need to keep it in. Because that's the other option, isn't it? Well, hmm. the Bible's going to show us no. But if you do keep it in, then the torture continues. This is how we get a tortured sin, a tortured soul. For some of you, you'll have other private secret sins. Maybe you struggle with, with food and, and with your, your, your kind of your relationship with food and, and it, it, it torments you and tortures you because these things that, that you've been told that they're things of shame. And maybe you overeat or you, you undereat or you, you yo-yo between the two. And, and these things, they become things that play upon you and torture you on the inside because we, we keep it on the inside. Maybe some of us, we have um, problems with, with money and shopping and we find ourselves just buying more, more, more to try and satisfy some sort of something within ourselves. And, and then we find the, you know, the credit card statements come or, or so on and so forth and, and we just hide them away. Because what else do we do? And things kept secret torture and decay and hurt us. For others, it might be an addiction. Maybe it's you know, smoking, even though you know that it's hurting your body, or you, you drink too much, even though you know that it has such a negative effect upon you um, as who you are with others, as well as on your body. Maybe there's other drugs that have troubled you in times past, and, and so we, we hide. And we try and keep it secret, keep it secret. What is it that tortures our souls? Well, number one, we're tortured by the things that we have done. And secondly, we're tortured by the lies that we believe. And these things, they, they work together in a, well, it's a horrible disharmony, truthfully. But when we've, we've done things, perhaps, or or permitted things within our lives, and we know that they're not right, they're not of God, and we've perhaps got them secret because we're not sure what to do. Then if a, a lie is spoken into that circumstance, that scenario, then it's going to make it incredibly toxic. We believe lies, and the Bible makes plain to us that the lies primarily come from the enemy of your souls. That's what the Bible describes the devil, Satan, to be. God is, is the friend of your soul. That's some good news for you. He's not against you. So although we've started in some stuff that's really heavy and hard, we're going to find that there's a friend like no other who will help us. But perhaps in these moments of, of toughness, we're finding someone else who is against us. And the Bible teaches that the devil, he's not just against us, not just our enemy, but he is a liar. You've got that there in your notes in John chapter 8 and verses 44. The scripture speaks about the devil and says that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. That's really straight down the line, isn't it? There's no gray area here. And then the Bible puts it like this. It says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. That's who he is. That's who he is. Now, there are so many people, and look, Maybe you've come here this morning and you've kind of, you've got some of the truths about God and, and who he is and maybe some of the things that he said about you and you've got them going on in your life and that's good. But at the same time, you've believed the lies of, of the enemy, believed the lies of the devil and you're, you're trying to reconcile these two things. Can I, can I give you a bit of an insight here? You can't. What God says about you is true. 
But what the devil says about you is always false. You remember the cartoons, don't you? And uh, Tom and Jerry, wouldn't it be? And little Jerry, never did anything wrong, obviously, but Tom, evil. And uh, there would come those moments, wouldn't there, where there'd be like a little angel cat on one shoulder. Do you remember these things? And then there'd be a little devil cat on the other shoulder whispering these bad things. And nine times out of ten, Tom would go the wrong way, wouldn't he? Hmm. It's not obviously anywhere near so flippant, but truth of the matter is within our lives, some of us, we're actually kind of giving space, shoulder room, ear room, to both these voices speaking into our lives. Well, when you recognize that only one can be true and, and the other is always a lie, why, why would you give this ear room? I might, but sometimes we do, don't we? And these lies start to turn our own inadequacies, our own failures, our own sin into something that is incredibly toxic in our lives. You know, what, does, what do his lies look like? Sometimes he might say to us, if anybody knew your secret, they wouldn't like you anymore. They would reject you. You can't tell anybody uh, because it would be so stupid. You'd, you'd be so ashamed. They would just be done with you. These kinds of lies, even lies that would say, actually, even God wouldn't want you anymore. That's a terrible lie, isn't it? Our Bible teaches us quite the opposite, but the devil would try and convince us that there's, there's no more room for us, that we're not good enough to come to faith in Jesus. We're not good enough to be a part of his church. He might whisper lies and tell us that because we failed at something, then that makes us a failure. That's not true, is it? Just because we failed, I'm not specifically talking about sin here, but just because we failed once doesn't mean we're always going to fail. But you know, th these are the kinds of lies that the devil would put into your ears and into your heart. He might say to you, well, you messed up once, so you, well, what's the point? You might as well give up, just carry on messing up. And we start to believe these things because not only is the devil speaking them you know, into our personal circumstances, but they're so commonly in our culture, aren't they? These things seem to be the culture of the world that would seek to move people away from God. And just try and you know, self-medicate or numb ourselves to the possibility of life with Jesus. We think, well, I've just got to carry that secret to the grave. But what you don't realize is this. Your secret is taking you to a spiritual grave. You're not carrying it to the grave. It's carrying you to a spiritual destination that God doesn't want you to go to. If this is the nature of what it is to have a tortured soul, then we, I hope, will want to address this and say to God, please, would you help me? What, what can I do? What can I do? What hope is there for me? The Bible's really full of it. You're, you're in luck this, this morning. The Bible is full of goodness and grace for you. Uh, we talked about this on, on a couple of occasions already. I've mentioned it. But the Bible invites us to speak truth to our souls, to preach um, not these lies, but reality to our souls. I don't know, maybe it's been so long that you've been carrying secret sin or, or maybe it's been so long that you've been accepting the lies that you've actually started to preach them to yourself. Maybe you've started to tell yourself that you're nothing, that you're worthless, that there's no hope for you, that you're always going to be this way. Maybe you're, you're the one who's preaching these negatives to yourself. It need not be that way. 
God wants to give you some absolute wonders and truth and love and grace that you can then preach to your soul and see freedom in Jesus Christ. That was a good place for an amen, yeah. I agree, I agree. So how are we going to speak to our tortured souls? Well, first thing is, Again, it's here in your notes. It is better to confess your sins than to hide your sins. It's better to confess your sins than to hide your sins. Now, if we just left it there, some of you, I reckon you'd be like, I don't know, (laughs) this is going to get a bit ugly. Um, And look, to be honest, as we unpack this, we might say, well, there are challenges here. But this is the underlying truth. In Proverbs 28 and verse 13, it says it this way. It says, he who conceals his sins does not prosper. That's pretty black and white, isn't it? There's no gray area there. If we conceal our sins, we won't prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces their sins finds, what do we find? Mercy. Is it up there? It is up there. See, it wasn't that hard for you to answer. He finds mercy. Come on, say to somebody next to you, mercy. This is the promise of God for those who will take him at his word. For those who will take him at his word. If you hold it in, it'll poison you. But if you let it out, you find mercy and grace and forgiveness and help in your time of need. You know, we've talked a bit before about how we we understand these things in our bodies, but not so much in our souls. Well, what is it like? It's a bit like food poisoning, yeah? Has anyone ever had food poisoning? It's probably easy to say, has anyone ever not had food poisoning? Um, you have it from time to time, don't you? You eat something and it kind of, it looked all right. You know, I'd brushed that funny white fuzz off it and it seemed fine. And um, I thought it was going to be okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, oh, when it's in. Well, you know how these things go, don't you? What is in must come out. Do I need to say any more? No. <laughs> Suffice to say that it will find a way out. And um, you have no control over these. You know what I'm talking about, yeah? You know, you know. What makes you think your soul is any different? You put poison in there, allow it to fester for a period of time, and then you think, oh, but it's okay, I can keep it in. I don't know whether your soul is actually there. No, no. You, you feel like, No, you can't. No, you can't. The poison that you ingest spiritually through the sins and the lies that we then believe, it's going to have that same effect upon our lives. So how can we find a way to allow this poison out in a way that will lead us to health and healing? Well, the Bible says that the, the, the freedom, that the opportunity that we have is via, it's through confession. Unconfessed sin is poison to your soul. It is destructive. It will hurt you, it will steal from you, it will, it will actually bring death to you spiritually. It's poison, but if you get it out through confession, you reject it. Now, we're not of a tradition as a church where we have a, a little kind of wooden box in the corner of the room where you have to go to confess your sins. I'm very glad about that, let me know. Um, 
But we do believe what the Bible says about the nature of confession. What does the Bible say about confession? It says, firstly, and this is really the foundational nature of confession. It's in there in your notes. We confess our sins to God for the forgiveness of sins. Only Jesus can forgive you for your sins. Your pastor can't. If I called myself a priest, I could not. Only Jesus can can forgive you for your sins. This was an absolute revolution when he walked around here on on this earth because he would go around forgiving people for their sins. And the, the, the biblical leaders of the day, they knew that that meant Jesus was saying he was God, which was a big old deal. But he could say it because he is. He's God. Only God can forgive you for your sins. So if you talk to God about them, he is the one who can forgive you. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, we've been blessed to be getting a great deal of this material from a book uh, by Craig Groeschel called Soul Detox. I would highly recommend that you buy this book. But as I've been listening to Craig Groeschel, he says at that moment, he, uh, talking about that verse, he says, if you memorize Bible verses, then start with that one. And he said it, and I thought, that's really good advice. That's really good advice, both to memorize the Bible because it does such good, but to start here. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can hear some whispers around the room. A few of you have taken this advice already. Can I encourage the rest of you? Get this deep into your soul. It's the antidote to the lies of the devil and it's the open door to confession to God and the freedom that comes through forgiveness and his cleansing work in your lives. This is what God wants to do for you. Now, the Bible says that the way he forgives you and cleanses you, it's remarkable because a God who is all-powerful, he can't forget anything, chooses to forget. (laughs) He determines that he will make his nature one that forgets your sins. The Bible says he puts your sins in the depths of the sea of his forgetfulness. Yeah? What is it, the Mariana Trench down there? It's like, how can I, right to the depth. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. Don't know whether they're pointing in the right direction there, but as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed it, yeah? This is how God chooses to deal with your sin. This is the nature of his forgiveness for you. Just couldn't get any better. I'm gonna keep on going until a few of you smile about the nature of God's love for you. All right, it's good stuff. Do you remember old Etch-a-Sketches? Do you remember these things? Etch-a-sketches? That's what a computer was back in the 80s. Um, you remember this? And you would draw with the little things, the little dials, because nobody had thought, how about a pen? Um, but you would draw with the dial. It was quite hard, wasn't it? To get the... Did any of you have an Etch-a-sketch? Yeah, okay, good. Um, it was only older people there that looked at me and waved. Stop making me feel old. Um, the rest of you, young people. I'm, yeah. Anyhow. Um, but then at the end, you shake it. Do you remember this? Oh, for goodness sake, you miserable one. Two of you. you. And it'd be gone. Everything would be gone that you had done. It's the very nature of God's forgiveness for you. There's no residue. An old etch sketch would have a bit of residue. There's no residue. There's nothing. Not a spot, not a blemish. Jesus washes you. And how does the Bible say? Whiter 
than snow. We're imagining snow that's just fallen here, not snow that the kids have played with for half an hour. Just whiter than, pure white, clean and clear. This is the promise of God for those who will confess their sins to him. Secondly, and time's marching on, we need to probably speed up a little bit, forgive me. We confess to God for forgiveness, that is his gift alone. Only he died on the cross for you. Only he is able to administer this justice and mercy in your life. But the Bible teaches we can do something else. Indeed, we ought to do something else. We ought to confess our sins to one another. Now you're like, hang on, Greg, that can't be in the Bible. That sounds like a terrible idea. Why on earth would we do that? Well, the Bible says here, this is why we do this. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for it one another so that you may be healed. Healed. There's a big promise, isn't there? Because I don't know about you, but I know that if I've sinned or if I've believed lies, if the, the toxic nature of this poison has had a go at my life, I need healing, I need forgiveness, cleansing, but I, I would really like to be made whole again. Anybody else? If that poison has worked something horrible in my life, then I know I, I need healing. And here is a way that God says healing might come into our lives. Now, this is you know, an incredibly uh, powerful opportunity. Now, what does it mean and what does it not mean? You know, it does not mean that we just um, say to all and sundry, every time we've done something wrong, I've done this wrong. You know, I don't want to be going onto Facebook tomorrow and seeing everybody here listing out every sin that they've ever committed for everyone on Facebook to know. Um, so please don't misunderstand me. Um, that's not the nature of confessing your sins to one another. Um, what that is, is about prizing and valuing genuine Christian community with brothers and sisters who love you, who are invested in you and you in them. So please... The, the confession of the saints is not even to everybody here in this room. It's appropriately to those who God has placed in your life, invested in you so that you can be accountable to one another, loving one another, to seek and to see the healing of God. It's why as a church, we over and over and over again say to you, you need to be a part of one of our transformed communities. Because if, if you think that you can journey with this church and, and, and just kind of drop in on a Sunday and gain the benefit of life in Christ just that way, please, at best, you're going to get half. At best. But if you invest in relationship with other believers who are journeying in the same direction with you, loving you and getting to know you, then you are inviting the fullness of the possibility of the healing of God into your lives.